Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 63, How to Make an Impact on a Corporate Board of Directors, featuring Betsy Atkins. your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. If you are a CEO or if you've been working in corporate America, you've probably had to have some involvement with the board of directors, either advising them or being advised by them. But how many of you have actually served on a board of directors? And if you are doing that, do you think you're really making an impact? Is it making a difference in the service of the customers of those companies and of the employees and of the other stakeholders? It's not just something that you can do by accident. There's an intentional, proactive way to be an effective board of director for a public company. Our guest today is Betsy Atkins, author of Behind Boardroom Doors, Lessons of a Corporate Director. Betsy has been CEO for three companies, and she's been a professional director on public and private U.S. and international companies, where she's experienced 11 IPOs, three bankruptcies, many CEO changes, as well as acquisitions, divestitures, go-privates, and mergers of equals. This is a book full of in-depth accounts that Betsy shares of her experiences at serving on these various boards. She tells a lot of great stories and what she learns about them. And she also has a number of principles to share and just thought-provoking ways to think about how a director on a board of directors can make a difference and what's the right way to act in different situations. So today we're going to be talking about how to be a successful and helpful board member including hopefully how can you get on a board of directors if you're not already serving in that capacity. Betsy Atkins, welcome to Engaging Leader. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Jesse. Betsy, what companies have you served as CFO? I'm sorry, as CEO? I have been CEO of a company named Key Supercomputer, which was a venture capital-backed company. And we sold it to a big public mainframe computer company named Amdahl. I've been CEO of Baja Ventures, which is an early stage seed technology and healthcare, social media and mobility venture capital company. And Baja Ventures invests in very early stage companies, and we were lucky enough to get a very small piece of uh, a company named eBay, which was highly successful, and Yahoo, and then a few others that went public, and then like all venture companies, a few that blew up, (laughs) and the winners cover all of your mediocre investments. And then a company named, um, which was in, in the sustainability and energy management field, named clear standards that would measure how efficient a large corporation is in using their energy. So it could be uh, regular uh, oil and gas, uh, electricity, the fleet of 
vehicles, uh, waste handling and water, and it would compute how to be more energy efficient, and it would actually even compute a carbon footprint. So if you, ma- if you manufacture milk, what, what was the carbon impact on a quart of milk? Because in the European community, you need to actually measure uh, and record your carbon impact for every unit of something that's manufactured. And that company um, was a very successful software company that was acquired by SAP. Hmm. And now you are a professional director. What does that mean? I serve on both private corporate boards. So those would be boards that perhaps private equity companies or venture capital companies put investment in and they build them hopefully to go public or be acquired. And I serve on uh, public corporate boards. So that might be uh, companies that you would recognize where I've served, such as the NASDAQ Stock Exchange, Vonage, the telephone company, um, Chico's, the specialty retailer, Paychecks, the payroll outsourcer, etc. So when you say you're a professional director, does that mean that you it's rather your full-time occupation these days to serve on different boards as opposed to serving full-time in a day job, if you will, and just serving on a few boards in your off hours? That is right. So instead of a full-time operating role being an executive in a company, which I did earlier in my career, or a CEO in a company, which I've done three times, um, I sit on public and on private corporate boards, and I have a terrific team. I have a staff of three that back me up so that all of the committee work and all of the board prep work, uh, I'm, I'm able to not only be up to speed, but hopefully add value because I think board members should be a competitive asset for corporations. Right. You see a lot in the media that gives indication that perhaps at, at some boards in the past in particular, that there have been board members who were receiving compensation to serve as a board member and yet weren't putting any work in. They just showed up for meetings and didn't really have their head in and were basically rubber stamping, I guess, what the CEO and other executives were were suggesting or recommending. So a, a director on a public or private company is a fiduciary uh, for the shareholders. They're a, a steward. They represent the shareholders, the common public shareholders, or the private common stock as opposed to uh, the venture capital community or private equity community where they would have preferred stock. And the role of a director has changed over time. You know, 30 years ago, it was more of a passive role and more of a, a standard oversight on just confirming that the financials were accurate. And now over time, since the blowups of Enron and WorldCom, people have said, oh, my gosh, were the directors, you know, aware of what was going on? Mm-hmm. You know, look what happened to AIG and Lehman Brothers. Didn't they understand what was going on? How did they not know this? So the role has changed to be more uh, engaged in the strategy as well as, of course, making sure you have good financials. So first of all, what kinds of responsibilities would you have on a board member, what, what does that role look like? What, what does a, a corporate board do? It's a really good question. Uh, so a corporate board has certain re- 
requirements that you do for the shareholders and a rhythm of activity. So at the beginning of the year, just like uh, executives are creating an annual operating plan for the company, you establish, you know, what's the target revenue, what's the target profit, uh, what's the budget that supports those things, what's the goal in terms of market share that the company is going to aspire to gain. So you create an annual plan. This is an internal plan that the company runs by. And you review that plan and get it approved by the board of directors because the board of directors has to approve what the revenue and profit targets are because that relates to the compensation of the leadership team. So one of the first things that the board does is it reviews and approves the annual plan. It reviews and approves the compensation structure for the leadership team and the CEO that is a derivative of that annual plan. It has, um, you know, other absolute responsibilities such as acquisitions come to the board of directors and divestitures if you're going to sell off a division. And so you would do a review of the annual strategy. What are the businesses we're going to stay in, you know, is our business model going to change or are we looking to acquire adjacent products or services so that, you know, acquisitions are part of a strategy that you look at annually. That's another thing. It might not be right in the beginning of the year. So maybe if the first you have four quarterly mandatory meetings, maybe the second meeting of the year, you might look at the acquisition plan for the year, which relates that's a subset. It comes out of what's our business strategy? You know, how much are we going to grow organically with our own products and services? What new markets or adjacent capabilities are we going to add inorganically through acquisition? So those are some examples. I don't want to be a long, boring monologue, Jesse, of, of activities <laughs> that a board does. One of the parts of the book that was fascinating to me is when you talk about how one of the maybe most basic responsibilities of a board of directors is to hire the CEO and then measure his or her performance. And I was surprised at what a comprehensive or even a more progressive view you take on what you need to find in a CEO and what leadership capabilities in particular that you're looking for there. So one thing, even before we get into how do you be a good member of a board of directors, when you're looking at a CEO, what types of leadership characteristics do you look for? You know, it, it relates directly to the company because it, there is no one correct playbook for leadership. So, for example, if the company's business model how they go to market, their products and services is working great and they don't want to do a lot of change. They just want you to do uh, growth uh, and, and execute with higher profit or higher revenue. Let's take a company like Paychex, for example. They do payroll outsource services. They're, this is their business. So a, a leader who's going to execute well there, they're not looking to change their business model or radically change their product or service offerings. So you would, you would likely try to, you have a higher percentage chance, much higher, two times higher of successful leader when you recruit from within the company. So here where you're not changing the business model, you would want somebody from a culture that is working and understands the business model. 
However, if it's a different circumstance, let's say, for example, Polycom, where I am a board member, and their world is changing. We're talking on Skype, and they're in the video conferencing business. So this is a big threat to the business model, and it happens you know, right now. We're changing our CEO. You might try and pick somebody uh, from outside the company because you need a new skill set, and you need somebody who's been through business transformation. So your leadership quality attributes has to map to the company's business challenge, and then it has to map to the company's culture. So, for example, you might have a company like uh, the defense contractor, General Dynamics. General Dynamics actually has a lot of generals on their board of directors, and they have <laughs> of command and control. They make things for the military. They have uh, an important cultural match to the defense sector. It's a command and control style company making products for the military. So you wouldn't want to pick somebody who was, you know, uh, from the t- from the technology sector who was all about, you know, everybody buying in, kumbaya, we all opine, we all contribute, we all hold hands, lock arms, and jump off the cliff together because – a, a collaborative leadership style where everybody buys in probably doesn't work well in a command and control corporate culture. Mm-hmm. So you have to match the leadership attributes to the company culture and or, or unless they're trying to change that culture. Maybe General Dynamics stalls and they say, oh my gosh, this command and control leadership style doesn't work for us going forward. So you have to see where it is in the continuum of the corporation's growth, their own culture, what's working in that culture. And the board looks at the culture and tries to proactively map the success against leadership style. And is that an appropriate and a a thriving and an effective leadership style for the company going forward? Yeah, it's interesting that you take a serious look at their leadership style, not just their past results. And you actually take steps to make sure that you are getting the real feel, the true uh, sense of their leadership style. Like, for example, you talk about board members actually spending some time with the CEO or doing a few of the background checks as opposed to delegating that wholeheartedly. Why is it important to take those extra steps like that? Well, I think... You know, the most important decision the board ever does is the hiring or removing of a CEO. And it's very hard to do succession. Uh, First of all, the CEO never voluntarily wants to talk about their successor as a priority. (laughs) Right? Nobody wants to to say, my term is going to end. So that's a hard conversation to have. And succession is a different subject. But doing the background checks yourself, interviewing CEO candidates yourself, and not having it be done only by a search firm, the search firm is going to help you identify a pool of talented people who match your spec. But once you've interviewed the CEO candidate you know, three or four or five times and you've met with them three or four times and you believe they're the right match, when it comes to the reference checks, you really have to, you get so much important information when you do it yourself because it's those pregnant pauses on the phone. It's the tone of voice on the phone of the person 
who's speaking about this candidate where you pick up hesitancy or lack of conviction or enthusiasm and conviction. And you need to sense that directly. Because today we live in a litigious society. Nobody is going to say, well, I kind of worried about Miss or Ms. XYZ's business ethics in this area or integrity in this area. Nobody is going to say that or Mm -hmm. write that. They may gently infer it by gentle innuendo. And you only pick that up if you put the time in and do it personally. We're going to talk in a few minutes about how you can be a successful board member, but I'm wondering about the pathways to reach the boardroom in the first place. So you've been a CEO at at three companies. Is that a, a prerequisite or are there other pathways to the boardroom? Generally speaking, having been a CEO is at least for it is a at least on half of the board members I see in their background, probably more. Uh, so it, it it's an important thing uh, to have done because you're there mentoring and advising the CEO on how to build and scale the company and get through difficult corporate issues. So if you haven't led a corporation, you know, your perspective is going to be more narrow. Um, if you have deep domain knowledge and expertise in the company's business. So if this is a healthcare company and you are you know, deeply knowledgeable, if it's a pharmaceutical company, let's say you're uh, a, a very knowledgeable, you've led a research organization or a product development organization, that would be very valuable. You know, if, if, if you, you have deep knowledge and expertise, that will help. So it would be perhaps in a product area or in a go-to-market area, you know, because when you think of a company, right, what are they made up of? Uh, It's made up of, you know, creating a product or a service, so that's the product development or services side. It's go-to-market, selling and marketing and merchandising the product or the service. And then the third arm is manufacturing. Those are the deep knowledge that you need to bring, and then boards need financial expertise by law, uh, to chair the audit committee. So if you were, had not been a CEO, but you had really deep and broad knowledge in one of those other areas, product or service development, uh, go-to-market, sales, distribution channel, digital marketing, uh, you know, in, engagement with the consumer, if it's a consumer who's the target you know, person you do business with as opposed to another corporation, that would be useful. And then domain knowledge in the company's business. So if it's a steel company, deep knowledge in steel. If it's a pharmaceutical company, very deep knowledge in pharmaceuticals. Those things, uh, those attributes probably make up a third of the board members. So maybe maybe two-thirds of board members are past or current CEOs at, at other companies, and then about a third are experts in a specific area. Right. And it could be either financial services, an appropriate knowledge that matches the industry for a product or service. So if it's a, a pharmaceutical company, 
R&D, deep knowledge on product development of pharmaceuticals, not of just R&D in general. Um, and, you know, if it's a pharmaceutical company, deep expertise on go-to-market globally for pharmaceuticals, not just general go-to-market, unless it was deep digital DNA. So if you're a pharmaceutical company and you sell to the consumer and you have really deep knowledge on direct-to-consumer marketing, you know, voice of the consumer, e-commerce, uh, deep knowledge on digital marketing, social media, mobile engagement with the consumer, uh, you know, th- then those kind of, that point of view, that digital DNA, if it's a consumer business, is very, very important, probably more important these days than deep financial expertise. You talk a lot about the need for every corporate board to have at least one, what you call digital director. Is that, I'm just wondering, is that so important for the actual board to have that kind of expertise uh, as opposed to just some deep expertise within the company itself? Years ago, having the expertise in the company was more than adequate, a strong CIO. Mm -hmm. Today, there isn't a business I can think of where you don't need to have deep digital DNA on the board. Let's say you are a telephone company or you're uh, General Motors. You know, being more efficient in your supply chain at General Motors and knowing how to source products on the web uh, using uh, global digital sourcing is going to take so much cost out of the manufacturing process and add so much profit to the bottom line that it's really important. So even if you don't have a product that goes to a consumer, knowing how to use technology to improve your manufacturing and your sourcing is critical, even automating and and robotics. So having deep digital DNA is, is critical in how you run the business efficiently. Technology is such an integral part of keeping businesses vibrant and competitive and competitive going forward for the long-term health of the enterprise is a key responsibility of a director to keep the company competitive. You can look at calamities like Borders, the book company, and uh, Blockbuster, the video company, where you know they, they were clobbered by the tsunami uh, you know, they both said, oh, the business model isn't going to change. Technology isn't going to impact my business. Well, Netflix put Blockbuster out of business and Kindle put Borders out of business as they were busy saying, you know, these technology changes aren't important. The rate of technology change is so fast. Right now, mobile engagement and mobile connectivity has surpassed use of our PC. And that's going to affect everybody's business. How your sales reps sell in the field, how your customers order in the field, uh, how you deal with your suppliers, 
uh, how you deal with your uh, employees, uh, telecommuting. You know, there isn't an attribute or a part of your business that isn't going to be hugely impacted by technology. And to not have a director who understands that, to keep the company vibrant and competitive and forward thinking, you know, don't you think you're going to need millennials in your workforce? They're going to work differently. You know, you need to understand these things. You can't have a boardroom full of people who don't know how to use the iPad anymore or or who aren't understanding what digital natives, how they work. So there isn't a a part of your business that isn't going to be hugely impacted and at an accelerating rate by technology. And you need that perspective in the boardroom. Yeah, it's interesting you mention and and talk a lot about in the book about the, the importance of both the market-facing technology ex- expertise and the employee-facing technology expertise because of the uh, expectations of the millennials in, in the workforce and the research studies done on just what they expect that a certain level of technology and future development in technology is what makes a company world-class and they don't really want to, the, the, the best of them don't are, are more attracted to the more forward-thinking companies. And everybody is doing business globally. You need to understand that that's all going to be technology enabled. How you train people, how you do compliance is all technology based. Uh, how you do surveying to make sure that your internal and external constituencies uh, are able to give you feedback, whether it's crowdsourcing ideas. You know, there there isn't an end. And you can't just have a little general tiny slice of technology because there's e-commerce, there's mobile engagement, there's use of analytics, predictive big data analytics, you know, there's your ERP systems that are changing and moving to a SaaS subscription base in the cloud. You know, there, there isn't an element of your business. And, and if you don't have deep knowledge of that by somebody on the board, I think that the chance that your company becomes obsolete like borders your risk is much higher of not having uh, an agile business model. And uh, you talk in the book about macromyopia, which is this tendency to overestimate the short-term impact of a new product or technology and underestimate the long-term implications. Can you tell us how that plays out in the boardroom and how having a a digital expertise can help you avoid mistakes in, in either direction? You know, it's important to realize that the role of the director is to represent the shareholders for the long-term health of the business. And so the stock market pressures us to have quarterly results, which is the short term. Um, And if you aren't thinking of the long-term trends that are going to impact the business, and looking to make the business vibrant and competitive for the long term, it's very easy for companies to just sort of slowly atrophy and flatline. Because if you look at the books by uh, Collins on good to great, I'm always amazed by the statistic that in 20 years, 40% of the businesses are gone. They don't exist. I mean, look at Lucent. It's gone. It was this giant business it's, it died within 20 years. They spun it out of AT&T. It went public. It merged with Alcatel. It's gone. So if 40%, almost half, are gone in 20 years, and in 40 years, 
60% are gone. Look at where your company is and its lifeline. How many years old is your company? You know, statistically, it's it's not going to make the, the transformation to be vibrant and growing and capturing market share and being relevant because every 20 years, some huge percentage die off. So it's pretty... If you look at that macro trend, staying competitive and relevant in the market, you know it directly maps to use of technology and being forward-thinking and that balance of the short-term and the long-term. We have a question that came in from our community that I think would be interesting to hear you uh, respond to. Jillian asks, this September, Stanford released a study about women on corporate boards. It indicated that currently only 17% of directors in the U.S. are women, although women represented 26% of the newly elected directors in 2012. For a woman to get on a board today, how are the obstacles and opportunities different from when you first got started? I think that it's easier for women to get on boards now because there's a recognition that uh, having a diversity of thought and background is valuable to boards because boards are more engaged now. You know, 20, 30 years ago, 20 years ago when I was joining boards, you know, boards were more passive, not as engaged in strategy. You hadn't had WorldCom and Enron and uh, AIG and Lehman Brothers. You hadn't had these blow-ups that had the had the uh, shareholders uh, become vocal saying, hey, we want our board members doing more than just making sure the financials are correct. We want them looking at the long-term viability of our corporation and the competitiveness so that we don't, you know, have these big problems emerge. And so with that engagement has become the, uh, with, with asking directors to be more engaged in strategy and, and, uh, more engaged uh, in oversight, then they've said, well, we need a, a broader diversity of views. And so it's it's uh, an environment where uh, women are, are invited more frequently. And we've had more women in the senior ranks of corporations to recruit from. You know, 20 years ago, there were not the number of women CEOs there are now. And if you go back to the beginning, our beginning conversation, you know, having a CEO perspective um, is is a valuable perspective you find in you know over half the directors. In your book, you talk about a lot of your your greatest lessons that you've learned to how to be successful on a board, and the three of your greatest lessons are to be ever vigilant about competition in the marketplace, which I think we can understand what what that means. But the other two, I'm just interested if if you could explain a little more about what you mean. One is creative listening. And the other is applying pattern recognition. So creative listening or active listening to me, to be successful, you have to hear what the CEO and the management team are telling you and what they're not telling you. So you can see, for example, in the dynamic of a board meeting, if the CEO is a command and control CEO and doesn't want his or her subordinates to really participate. They're kind of there, but they're very quiet. The CEO manages the conversation, shuts down questions, doesn't really allow dialogue. And when you see that, you can pretty much have a red flag go up 
that you better understand and reach out and spend some time with the CEO's direct reports to find out is something going on in the company that the CEO is so controlling of the dialogue. So that's an example of active listening. You know, you and, and everybody has seen this in their own meetings in their own companies where you read the body language that there's something they don't want to talk about or there's a risk or a concern. And you have to know when it's appropriate to look deeper and when it isn't because every little thing, you know, the, the rule for board members is nose in, hands out. You know, you don't operate and you don't run the company. That's what management and the CEO does. You do oversight. So you can't get confused and do oversight uh, is overstep and let me go in and run it. So you can't, you know, so you have to balance and that comes to pattern recognition. You know, what are the important things that are really going to impact this company and this business long term? What are the appropriate things I should engage in? What is something that lets me know there's likely a problem around the corner? So pattern recognition. Um, I was um, on the board of a company named UT Starcom. And UT Starcom was a, a, about a $5 billion company, and they were doing business um, um, in all global small markets, Haiti, uh, Vietnam, Malaysia, um, you know, um, El Salvador, you know, little countries, little markets, and Pattern recognition would tell you, you are going to have some kind of a problem um, on your financials and your compliance with America's no bribery, um, you know, regulations. Because in those markets, you know, that's standard operating procedure that, uh, you know, people do, quote, incentive payments. Well, this is illegal in America and executives and board members are going to be held accountable. Uh, it's called the, uh, you know, foreign corrupt practices act FCPA, and you have to do training and compliance and they're going to, in, in these remote markets, it is absolutely a cultural thing where somebody is going to do, you know, uh, rent the building that their brother-in-law owns and pay an overmarket rent. You know, relate, that's called a related party transaction. You know, these things are prohibited. Uh, and so uh, you can expect that there will be these kinds of issues that will come up. And that's pattern recognition that you're, you know, somebody will cook the books in Brazil or in the Philippines. You know, it happens. Uh, somebody will uh, do business with their brother-in-law in an incorrect way because it won't be at a market rate. Uh, somebody will bribe somebody. Uh, so this is pattern recognition. So when you're doing business in these areas, your antenna have to be hypervigilant and the company culture and training has to be. So you should expect that you're going to step on a landmine there and be ready and try to intercept that kind of thing. So that's an example of pattern recognition uh, that um, happens Um and, and an obvious one. There's there's a lot of them, but those are the kinds of things by pattern recognition and active listening is watching the dynamic in the company. The book is Behind Boardroom Doors, Lessons of a Corporate Director. We've been talking with Betsy Atkins. 
about her book. And this book is available on Amazon. We'll put a link to it in our show notes as well as Betsy's other contact information. Uh, this book, it's very fascinating. It's, it's, it has a lot of in-depth accounts, lots of great stories that both show what it's like to be on a board, uh, how Betsy went about handling certain situations and making certain decisions, and just the types of proactive things that you should do as a board member to be successful and to make an impact and to, to serve the people, the stakeholders that you are representing. So Betsy Atkins, thank you for joining us today on Engaging Leader. It has been really a pleasure to speak with you, Jesse, and uh, I do hope that it's been an interesting conversation for people. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. All right, leaders, that wraps up this episode. You can find those show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 63 as in episode 63. And while you're on the show notes page, you can provide your thoughts or questions in the comment section. Also, we would love to include you on a future conversation if you have a question or a comment about this episode or a a past episode, or one of our upcoming topics, you can leave an audio message in the U.S. by calling 989-787-0060, or you can go to engagingleader.com and click on the record voicemail button. And of course, you can submit comments or questions by email to jesse at engagingleader.com, or on Twitter, where I'm at Jesse Leahy, or on Facebook or LinkedIn. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about. 